Hello, butterflies in the TOU community. Welcome back to another episode of the Learner Series podcast. I'm Ann Fisher, a senior learning designer at TOU and the host of this show. Today, I'll be talking all things knowledge transfer with Haley, who works as head of learning and programs at Curriculum at Open Classrooms. She has a lot of experience on the topic of knowledge transfer, what it is, how we can recognize it in our learning, and effective tips and tools for us to be able to use it in everyday life. Without further ado, let's get started. Hello, Haley. Thanks so much for joining me today. You work as the head of learning and programs and curriculum at Open Classrooms and have a lot of experience on the topic of knowledge transfer. Before we get started, however, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, thanks again for having me. So I'm originally from the United States, uh, from Seattle, so the Northwest. And I moved to France when I was around 23 years old and have been working here ever since. And that has been incredibly valuable for me in terms of uh, understanding, having a more international experience and understanding how different groups of people understand different material, um, what their expectations are around learning, uh, which which can be really primed by previous experience in, in educational settings. Um, mainly my uh, area of expertise is in professional education. So I've been working uh, for the, around 10 years, I would say, in, in professional education. Currently, what I do is I, I support learning designers who build degree programs to help people reskill into important or, or high, um, high demand jobs, so digital jobs, notably anything around data, around development, around digital marketing, for example. So lots of different things that are in high demand. So our main goal is to identify, we spend a lot of time evaluating how do these how do these jobs work? What are the key skills? How do, what are the thought processes that people put in behind those skills? What are the procedures that people have behind those skills? And how can we help students learn those and transfer those to the workplace as quickly as possible? Cool. And it's given me a great introduction to say that we are going to talk about knowledge transfer today, um, which is the process of using skills and knowledge that have been learned or acquired in one situation that is now used to solve a different yet relatable problem. It's an important aspect of learning and development as it allows us to build on our existing knowledge without having to reinvent the wheel each time. But within knowledge transfer, we apply previous learned information to new situations to improve the efficiency and the effectiveness of this learning process. But I would like to know from your expertise perspective, can you elaborate a little bit more on what knowledge transfer is and how it looks from a student perspective? Uh, sure. So I actually think there's a, it's a pretty good overview of knowledge transfer. Um, there's kind of two sub parts to that. Uh, so the first one is thinking about how do we transfer what we learn, for example, in a training uh, or off the job onto the job. And so when we talk about as a learning professional, when I talk about learning transfer, what I want to know is, is a student able to take what we taught them and actually apply it and use it effectively within a workplace context. Um, and often what's, and that's also even true in, for example, university setting, a more academic setting. Um, a good example is if you have a teacher that, or a professor that gives you a bunch of physics problems and they're all based on football, for example. And so they're all using the scenario of football. And then in the final test, suddenly they switch to baseball. A lot of students will actually have a really hard time switching between those contexts. They will be able to um, even though they know actually the the procedure that they're supposed to do, the change of context is really jarring and it's difficult to be able to switch that over. 
And so that's one of the things that we try to combat when we're when we're creating learning experiences is to make sure that people actually have a variety of experiences and they're able to kind of identify some of the salient aspects between those. So that's one aspect of knowledge transfer. Another aspect that I think is uh, more heavily what you highlighted uh, in your explanation is actually a lot more about prior knowledge. So how do we use prior knowledge and mobilize prior knowledge uh, in our learning? And prior knowledge is actually incredibly, it's incredibly important. So one, we always learn better when we're mobilizing prior knowledge because we're able to, to hook new ideas onto existing ideas. We're able to extrapolate a little bit better, so we, we remember it better, and then we're able to com- comprehend it a little bit better. Uh, it's also more motivating for us. So we, uh, when when the prior knowledge is reused and repackaged, that actually people tend to learn better because they see it as something that's truly relevant and important for them. Um, and it's it's valorizing, so it makes you feel, I think, good about your previous experience, and that it's uh, it's effective and, and a good part of your your future experience. So those are kind of the two aspects there. Um, and then uh, I think there's a lot to say about prior knowledge and about knowledge transfer, but but first off, is that that initial explanation uh, clear? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you, you mentioned a lot of uh, a lot of things, especially within this prior knowledge, um, making it easier. But uh, the motivation boost uh, for, for for the students, I mean, that's definitely a a win for them. And um, the variety of experiences that that you talked about is, um, I mean, for me as a learning designer, it's a very interesting perspective. But um, is there, or would you know uh, about any kind of way when 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 a student is is, is learning and they f- feel like okay, I'm learning like the same things over and over again? You know, often we're doing the same math problems, or you talked about the same physics problems. Is there a way for them to be able to adapt it to different contexts so that they don't get surprised? For example, um, at the end of so. Yeah, at the end of, uh, I, I think, uh, so there's kind of two things here. I think as an instructional designer, I think that's a good question. As an instructional designer, it's our job to make sure you have a variety of contexts for the same skill. So for example, in, in some of the work that we're doing right now, it's we're trying to design gradually more complex experiences uh, where you're reusing some of the same skills over and over, but you're using them in a slightly different context. And what that forces you to do, and I think this is what's interesting as a student, is to understand what are the salient elements. So, for example, that, that's even something we can, there's something, uh, there's another tactic where you, for example, you'll switch from one type of math problem to another type of math problem that's called interleaving. Um, and you switch from one topic to another, and that allows you to be able to, um, it, it actually makes it harder initially, but that the fact that it makes it harder requires you kind of to switch framework. So instead of kind of automatically being like, okay, it's this thing and kind of doing a rote um, kind of application, you have to identify, okay, what kind of problem is this? And then what kind of what kind of methodology should I be using each time? Uh, so for me, there's two things as a student you can do is one, you can be switching when you're studying, uh, you can be switching between topics, doing that interleaving activity. So uh, doing a little bit of history and then doing a little bit of math or doing different types of science problems, for example, uh, to make sure that you're understanding when you apply a particular methodology instead of just rote leadering it. The other element you can do is, um, and so that's also a learning designer's job too, to make sure that we have different. Absolutely, yeah. The other, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then the the other thing you can do is again, uh, well, a good example I think is problem solving. So we often talk about like soft skills or transversal skills, and the reality is that a lot of these skills look different depending on context. So for example, uh, uh, a problem solving skill for a data analyst is going to actually be very different on different applications and different kind of mental models than um, someone who's working in communications or community management, for example. There's different, they're both problem solving, but they're vastly different contexts, right? So 
And the difference, the difference with, so some of that requires like understanding uh, a certain degree of subject matter knowledge. And so I think a lot of students, uh, they're like, why do I have to like memorize these things? This is like so boring. Should I be like problem solving or thinking it through? But in order to problem solve effectively, you have to have a base of really strong knowledge. So I think another aspect to think about is making sure that when you're doing that initial like knowledge work, same thing if you're a geopolitical, an expert on geopolitical crises, you have to know a lot about the countries you're talking about in order to be able to solve the problems around those crises, right? Um, so it's a big example, but the same thing is true on a smaller level. You need the baseline knowledge, like just just knowledge. You need the procedural knowledge, and then you need the application aspects. And so there's um, uh, that's that's a critical part of it. Um, when we're talking about problem solving more specifically, the main thing is the, the main difference between experts and novices, for example, is uh, really. The, what they spend their time on. It's not necessarily that they do it faster, it's that they do it more efficiently. So novices tend to kind of go off in all directions. They don't know where to start. And in fact, what's more important than even knowing how you do a problem is knowing where to start in the problem. Um, and that's, uh, so like, where, what are the, like, again, what are the salient elements of the problem? If I analyze this, how is this similar from to similar problems that I've had in the past? What are kind of the inputs, the initial like situation of the problem? Uh, how does this compare to what I've already done? Um, what are some different methodologies that I could use? Like, what's the end goal? And how is this similar to some other end goals that I've had before? So getting kind of that perspective and really spending more time analyzing the problem, analyzing the, the major aspects, and then identifying how is it the same or different from previous things that you have done, that will help you much more in terms of um, analyzing that problem and, get, and moving through that problem efficiently. And that's true for, for any kind of activity that you're doing. Just taking the extra time to step back, get perspective and analyze before moving into action. Doesn't feel as exciting, doesn't feel as effective, but it actually is way more productive over the long term. Yeah, and probably then way more effective over over the long term. But what you kind of mentioned here, it sounds to me a bit like recognizing patterns in their learning. And um, it's, yeah, we all have, in a sense, we all have aspects of things that we are better at than others. And it's very true when it comes to learning. And as you mentioned, taking a step back and seeing um, what our new learning situation requires, whether... um, it's a new deliverable we're working on or a new lesson that we need to comprehend it helps us to understand where we need to focus and maybe even close the gaps in our learning because you mentioned that kind of base knowledge. But how can learners recognize these patterns and use them as a way to help with their knowledge transfer? So I, I think uh, that's, a, that's a really good question because I think for me, part of that question is that's a little bit of the job of the training, right? Yeah. I think that's why... Um, that's why when you go into something and you're, um, you're learning a methodology for something and that's, that's kind of applying, this is a type of methodology and then on what type of problem, what are the different like aspects of the problem? So I I would say when you're learning different, different procedures for how to do something, um, it's again, it's go back to recognizing patterns. It's, it's understanding kind of maybe how things flow in together. I would say. So how does how does this, uh, what are the different solutions for a different type of problem? Like figuring out how to categorize those problems in your mind. And that, that can be, that can be part of, I think, any, any global experience. Um, does that, does that get at the question? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I mean, there's so many aspects of knowledge transfer and so many different perspectives, you know, I mean, even from from learning designing perspective, but from the student perspective, but just even at, at, a, at, a, at a higher level or even within the psychological world about how people learn and transfer knowledge. I mean, this is a very, a very, very broad topic. And um, <clears throat> but here we are focusing in a sense on the students and um, 
I also wanted to talk about, um, as you kind of mentioned it before, like relevance and motivation and how students are more likely to connect with what they're learning and actually see the value in what they're learning and build new neural connections when things are relevant. But it's sometimes hard to recognize the relevance um, within within the learning, uh, especially um, if it's topics maybe that we're not as interested in or not as motivated by. But how how could they look for or what ways could they look for relevance within their learning? Um, I think with I think with this particular situation, so some of that again is that's my personal like position. Some of that is the, the job of the yeah. designer to to make sure that. Additionally, if you have, if you have context, for example, if you're someone, for example, if you're saying if you're taking a training on supply chain, for example, uh, if you're already if you have contact with people who work in that particular field, or if you have if you're at work um, and you can go in and look in that department and find people in that department, I would ask them if you're like I really don't understand why I have to do this, um, or if you have a teacher specifically that you're that you're working with directly, or a mentor that you're working with directly. Ask them. Um, so typically, if there's something within a training like that, if the training is well designed, there's a reason for why it's in there, and 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 there's a reason for for how it works. If you're unable to see, okay, well, what is the actual application? What am I getting out of this? Why is why is this clear? I think it's really important to ask. A good example is uh, so we have a lot of students in uh, development, for example, and one of the projects they have to do has to actually do with project management. And it has to do with breaking down, um, breaking down design requirements and mapping out design requirements uh, based on client needs, and looking at uh, looking at uh, how to break those down into like small increments so that they're they're you're able to produce them. So a lot of students they understand the like breaking down in, into increments to produce them. They're like, okay, yeah, I have to learn how to do that. But why do I have to do this whole like client needs thing? That's not my job. I'm a developer. I, I code things. Well, in reality, if you talk to most CTOs, they say the biggest problem they have with developers is that they have too many problems just kind of getting into the code and like doing the coolest code thing without really thinking about the end user and the usefulness of what they are building for the end user. And that's how you make an application that's functional and effective is that you ensure that you are providing the service or providing the user experience that is desired by that by that, that end user. And so when you have the end user in mind, you're going to be choosing more elegant, more straightforward, more effective solutions for the application, and you're actually going to be saving time and writing better code. But that is really difficult when you're first starting something, when your developers first starting, that's very difficult to process because they're so into like, I need to write this line of code correctly. Um, so those are elements of context. So again, if you're if you're struggling with something, you're like, why are they telling me to do this? Ask, definitely ask and see how you can apply it to your future situation. Absolutely. And maybe even um, you, not only just the, the, the professors or, or the people who've written it, but uh, also maybe even, even your peers, maybe just giving their insight can ha- actually help. Absolutely. Definitely. And then again, if you have a mentor, if you have any way of, of contacting someone, if you go to a meetup, if you go to, uh, if there's someone in your company that might work for that, if you're someone who's working in a company, uh, go ahead and ask, just take a coffee and, and, and talk to them about it saying, I'm really struggling to see the applications here. And they might be able to really highlight how long-term that's going to be useful in terms of structuring your thinking. So let's talk tasks. And when we initially talked here um, outside of the studio, we touched upon the topic of tasks that we can perform to help us learn best. Um, We talked about authentic versus holistic or atomic tasks. Um, Would you care to elaborate on what the difference is between them? Yeah, so I think there's a a common uh, error in uh, instructional design is that we tend to want to break things down and make them easier. 
Um, but sometimes we overdo it and we make them into, for example, uh, a good a good analogy is uh, doing a bunch of exercises or a bunch of like uh, questions on the driving test, for example. So we like break things down into really simple. So I, I give you some pictures and you react to the the situation uh, on the driving test, or you're able to uh, say, okay, what speed limit am I supposed to be in? Well, that's insufficient for actually preparing someone to learn how to drive. That's a good first step, but it's not it, it's not going to teach someone how to drive. You, you learn how to drive from actually driving. <laughs> that said, you don't want to throw someone out onto a highway or in the middle of a really busy city like in New York or in Berlin or or anywhere. That would be that would be not so great for learning and you would probably pick up some bad habits and be very traumatized. <laughs> so, uh Kushner uh in one of his in in a, in a book I think it's called uh, Evidence Informed Learning Design, which is one of my my favorite books, is uh uses a great analogy about um about a car. So for example, if you are learning how to drive, it's important to have that initial input knowledge. What is the what are the the, the rules of the road. Um, but that's might be a little bit too atomic, right? So, uh, and just learning how, for example, just to move the gear shift, again, that's really atomic, that's really tiny, it's not necessarily helping you put all the different variables together in a real situation and actually allowing you to be prepared to learn. So what you would do is maybe start off in a parking lot, right? There are very few variables. You kind of learn how to use the gear shift, you learn how to maneuver, you can do it really slow. Um, and But it's, it's within your reach, right? And then progressively you add more variables and those are authentic tasks because you're actually using or actually working through a lot of the processes the mental processes that you have to have the psychological processes that you have to have the knowledge that you have to apply but you're doing it within a context of fewer variables and uh and 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 fewer um fewer difficulties next you would go probably to a country road you know, you're working a little bit more speed. Uh, and then next you would maybe go into uh, a small town. So you're working with like changing and like working with uh, pedestrians and, and traffic lights. And then you would go into a large city, right? So there's these progressive elements with more and more variables. That's that's what we talk about when we call holistic learning. So basically you're putting all these things together, but putting all these things together in a way that's scaffolded appropriately for the level that you have, uh, mainly by playing around with variables. And that holistic learning actually allows you to learn much better um, and actually allows you to fully apply. So when you're in a situation in a car, I mean, you can ask which which progressive would you rather learn progressively in the way that I've just described, or would you rather just take a code, <laughs> the 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 code of the of the road, and then start driving? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think most the second one. And those holistic learning experiences again um, are more authentic, and then they're more effective. And. Um... Yeah, that's actually a quite interesting perspective that you put on there with the with the with the car analogy. I think going back and thinking about my own uh, driving and uh, definitely learning by doing in certain situations is not always the best. Yeah. Um, um, but let's let's we talked about kind of holistic versus authentic tasks, but um, let's talk about feedback and self explanation. And you know, we, especially for our learners, feedback is such an essential component to to their learning, to their progress in learning to actually deepen their understanding, coming outside their comfort zone. Uh, it's important for our work life in general. It's important for our relationships. Um, but in the context of transfer, we've mentioned that it's difficult to transfer um, and that we only can successfully transfer by putting effort into our learning. Um, and it kind of it's a, longer, a longer-winded um, point is that I talked about um, in the protege effect, where teaching others can ha- kind of help learners deepen their understanding of a topic. And self-explanation is similar to this concept as we begin to find ways to define a concept in our own terms. But what does the role of feedback and self-explanation play in supporting our knowledge transfer? 
Um, th th that's a really great question. Uh, they're both really, really important. Uh, so, and they're both kind of done differently. So, so feedback can be done on your own. So for example, through uh, self-assessment, for example, uh, so doing those kind of what we call formative evaluation. A lot of people really hate evaluations. They're like, oh, why do I have to take this test? Or why do I have to take this quiz? Or like, why, why are people evaluating me and making me stressed out? The reality is it's actually a really good teaching tool because when we're put in front of uh, kind of a blank page or a blank situation, as it were, uh, you're basically having to force your brain to remember all the different things that it needs to put into place in order to uh, succeed at that task. And it actually creates those those pathways in your brain to anchor those a little bit better. So it's actually a really great learning tool. So self-assessment, for example, if you're re uh, uh, just a baseline to use a more academic um, example, if you're reading an article or reading a, a, a chapter in a book, for example, at the end, write down what do you remember? What do you remember about that? Um, and that's going to that's gonna help you process that information a little bit better. You can also write out, instead of writing out uh, just like a list of notes and then rereading your notes, which has been shown in research-wise and not be particularly effective, you can have questions and then ask yourself the question, see what you remember, and then double-check it against your notes. Those tend to be a little bit more effective. But the kind of feedback to see, that's to like personal feedback. It's like self-testing is a way of having feedback for yourself to check whether what you what you what you've actually anchored, there's a, a really strong effect of when we reread re things, reread re things, or like we try to like recheck things, we have the impression <laughs> that we've learned it. But in reality, it's not typically there. There's also external feedback, and that's that's a slightly different question. Uh, external feedback. Uh, there's multiple layers of effective external feedback. Uh, so you've got corrective feedback. So if you do an error, so that can be done kind of automatically via platform sometimes, but it can also be done by a person. Um, so that's that's incorrect. So I'm going to help you correct that. Um, you've also got uh, ways of uh, elaborating. So kind of uh, asking, explaining, explaining more deeply why something is incorrect, and then what would be the steps for fixing it. And then you've got kind of the third level of feedback, which is more for advanced people, which would be asking kind of leading questions. So uh, asking them to really think through why are they doing it the way that they're doing it. So there's kind of these three levels of feedback there that make sense based on your level of learning. Um, and But the main thing is to separate feedback out from you as a person and really focus on the goal. So what is the current level that you have? What is the goal that you want to achieve? So what is the goal behavior or goal Thing that you could demonstrate and then what are the steps that you need to take between that goal behavior or goal result and your current level that's really critical um, again always separate that out from yourself because uh you as a person are not being when someone gives you feedback or isn't you are not being put on the hot seat or is it's not anything about you personally it's about where you can go in terms of that behavior so that's the first part about feedback and then um in terms of self-explanation, there's a couple of different techniques. You have uh, elaborative uh, interrogation. So that's mainly uh, where you take a baseline piece of fact, and then you try to add to it whatever you know about it. And the idea is to hook it better into your mental model, basically. So if you learn something about uh, history, for example, try to link it to anything that's associated with that. So if I'm, if I'm learning about Napoleon, uh, what else? What other topics or what uh, what other things? What other things can I link to this fact that I already know uh, about Napoleon, for example? Okay, well I know he's in France. Okay, what well, uh, what else do I know about that? Okay, well I know that he he worked in as a general. Okay, and just kind of adding adding more and more information or details around that. 
Um, and then self-explanation is, uh, again, that kind of goes back to the, the kind of self-evaluation, is that making sure that you are able to uh, not only just write out the definition that's like in the textbook or, or, or write out like what, you, what you've gotten as input, but actually reformulate it in your own words, which I think is what you've talked about uh, previously. Exactly. Yeah, and you kind of mentioned the kind of even finding generalizations. So with your Napoleon um, example here from specific instances or things that have happened uh, or that we've kind of know about in the past and putting the pieces in then together um, mm-hmm. that can really help the learners um, there. And before we go, um, I actually have one last question for you. It's more of a, a of an advice for the students. What what kind of advice would you give to a student who wants to consciously build? knowledge transfer into their learning? Um, that's a big question. <laughs> I think one is, uh, it goes back to, I think, what we talked about in the beginning, which is getting that perspective. So when you're learning something, think perspective, kind of analyze, identify, what do I already know about this topic? Um, what is the gap between what I already know about this topic and what I need to know about this topic? So that's kind of like starting in terms of their initial learning. That's going to help them really val- validate and valorize the uh, prior knowledge that mm-hmm. they have. And then again, I would I would spend a lot of time identifying what are the salient elements. And then each time that they have an opportunity to uh, work in a new context, cross-check, all right, what about this new context is similar to the context that I had before? Uh, what are what is what about this could be similar to things that I've done before? Really doing that cross check analysis uh, is something that's going to help a lot. And then the last thing is when something isn't clear to you about what's the relevancy or what's the power of, of what you're doing or or how it's supposed to be applied, ask absolutely ask. Um, go start by googling it, but ask ask the people, ask your cohort, ask the people around you. Um, so it's mostly that's kind of a summary of what we already talked about. But I think those are. Uh, recognizing those patterns and and thinking about the types of understanding that why you are doing the types of tasks you're doing, making sure that you're understanding why you're doing what you're doing is uh, is going to be the most important. Super great! Thank you so much for all the advice, for all the the insight into knowledge transfer. Uh, sitting here with tons of notes, thinking about next next episodes and uh, several different several different things here. But it's a it's a fascinating topic, and I uh, I really appreciate your your insight for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me, and it was really it was really great talking to you. And, and thanks so much for your uh, your guidance and your great questions. 